We are in day three of seven days of fasting and prayer, and I, I actually heard some growling stomachs in Sunday school, so I don't know if it was mine or people near me, but uh, I just pray that God will stir us to seek him during this week. So this is why we have an emphasis is because we, we get in routines where we're not seeking him, we're not pursuing him like we should be, and... Uh, times like this that we can kind of recalculate and say, you know, I need to be a little bit more attentive to what the Lord is wanting to say to me. So uh, we can call our church to prayer, yet really it is the function of the Holy Spirit to stir us to pray. Uh, one of the books I'm reading uh, right now is Running with the Horses. It's, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's uh, Eugene Peterson's book on Jeremiah. And uh, I've had it and I've decided I'm going to go back and reread some things. But it's kind of interesting that God said to Jeremiah when he was an adult man in the prophecy, and he says, you know, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. And I'd already decided what you was going to be and what you was going to do. So then you kind of like, okay, did he know that and make Jeremiah do that, or did he just knew that Jeremiah would do that? You know, that's where it gets into... What is our motivation? And, and I've really come to, through that and other things, is that when we have a stirring in our heart to seek God, I believe it's prompted first by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit begins to deal with us and speak to us, and, and we begin to sense that God is wanting us to pull ourselves away. And it might not be fasting from food only. It might be just fasting from your, your iPhone or from social media or just changing your habit up to where you can give a little bit more attentiveness to what he is saying to us. And part of what we're doing this week is a 24-hour prayer. It's going to start at 7 p.m. Wednesday night. It's going to be the last two days. It's going to touch both the, the day six and day seven of our seven-day fasting and prayer. And our latter part of our Wednesday night service is going to be a prayer service. And uh, it's going to go all the way through the, that night, all the way through Thursday to 7 p.m. We have a sign-up sheet out there for you to sign up. We're, having, we're asking people to come here. We'll have people here. We'll make sure that, you know, there's a sense of security. For those who want to come in the middle of the night, we're going to, we're going to have that covered. How about that? So you can come in, you just seek the Lord. It's going to be 24 hours of nonstop praying. You can pray at home. If you can't make it here, just make a, a focus that 24 hours to pray. Um, I'm going to take you to 2 Chronicles, if you want to go ahead and turn there. And before I jump too much into the message, really excited about you being here today, and I'm really excited about her being here today. And... Uh, I missed having my other partner with me here, my, my soulmate. I tell you what, I, I, uh, I told her I, th I think I'm going to go before she goes because uh, she handles me being gone better than I handle her being gone. I can tell you that. Uh, I just hate my house when she's not there. <laughs> but uh, it was good to get her back, and uh, she had to recover from grandchild abuse not abusing grandchildren, them abusing her. 
but uh, she was doing everything she could to make Abby and Joshua very happy, and they, they're excited about possibly coming this summer and maybe even going to kids camp with our group. So we're lobbying for that. Um, you can't get too much into uh, 6 and 7, and we're going to touch both on chapters 6 and 7. But I'll just go ahead and tell you that um, one of the books I finished this week is a book about World War II and, and a subject I'm very have a great love for, and it's um, um, a World War II flight group out of Europe, the European theater, the, the 100th, and a guy named Harold Crosby, a navigator, wrote a book about, I think he had 30-something missions over Europe, shot down two or three times, um, did not crash all of those times. They did a crash landing uh, in a field that wasn't really built for landing planes, but... Uh, he managed to continue to be there, but the title of the book is A Wing and a Prayer. So it just came to me, a promise and a prayer. So I attribute a book, it's not, it's not a, a religious book at all, it's a history book, but a promise and a prayer. And as I thought about that, these songs came to my mind that, that God takes our prayers and pulls a promise in the midst of them. And sometimes he gives us a promise that provokes our prayers. And what you see in 6 and 7 is a domination of prayer and promise. And I'm going to take you through this. Hopefully, uh, it's going to be a journey you'll enjoy. So, you know, I told him that, I told Tim Allen, who does the graphics, that this is coming off of a World War II theme, a wing and a prayer. And so, if you've seen any of the, the wing and the prayer, that is a great graphic when he sent it to me. I says, you did great. Because we are talking about a promise and a prayer being directly connected. Um, in the main verse, is going to be in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, a very familiar verse. But before we get to that, there's a promise that was needed in the midst of this prayer. And I guess I could have put, you know, a singular, a promise and the need for a promise. God saw the need to give Solomon and the people of Israel a promise. Why did he see that need? When you go back, and this was probably the greatest thing these people have ever seen. This is the greatest celebration Israel ever had. This is the most people that's ever was assembled in Jerusalem. This was the day that the dedication of the first temple, Solomon's temple, was conducted. And they had all kinds of stuff going on for days and days, over two weeks of celebration. And in the midst of it, and you find this in 2 Chronicles 6, Solomon had built a very small platform, you might say, seven and a half feet wide, about five feet tall. It wasn't like a gigantic platform like this building behind him was. It was a small platform. He came up on that platform as the king had been king for 11 years at this point. They started building the temple in his fourth year that he was uh, the king of Israel. And it took seven years to build it. So he comes up on the platform and he kneels down and raises his hand and he begins to pray. Calling on Lord God, the great God. There's no one like you. And he's just praying away, and all of a sudden, in his prayer, and I don't believe this was scripted, it was coming from his soul as the king. This is a great day. 
And he starts covering some things. If you're there in your Bible, like verse 24, he says, When your people Israel has been humiliated by a defeat by an army, when it's because of us abandoning you and sin, he goes on and says, Then hear from heaven and forgive the sin. That's why that song stood out to me. Hear us from heaven, forgive our sin, because this frame is all through. This is Solomon's prayer. Solomon has this feel that the history of Israel is not going to be a completely great history, that there's going to be times when something goes backwards for them. And he covers these. Hear from heaven, forgive our sin, bring them back to the land. In verse 26, and, and God repeats this when he talks to Solomon in chapter 7. You'll see this in just a moment. But in verse 26, this is Solomon praying. says, when the heavens are shut up and there's no rain, when you... When you take our rain away because your people have sinned against you, and when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you've afflicted them, then hear from heaven, forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live. Send rain on the land you may give your, that you gave your people for an inheritance. Then he talks about plagues and locusts and grasshoppers in verse 28. And these were common things that happened. He said, if you send a plague and it besieges us and besieges our cities because we, we've turned away from you, and when a prayer or plea is made by any of your people, Israel, each one aware of his afflictions and pains and spreading out his hands toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place, forgive, deal with each man according to all he's done since you know his heart. In other words, you alone, Lord, know if we really mean it. The Lord knows when we really mean what we're praying. And he says, and when Travis, tragedy comes and crisis comes and we really cry out and you see our hearts, not a Band-Aid, not an immediate fix so I can go on and keep doing what I'm doing, but a, we need your power to break all this off of us. Hear from heaven, forgive our sin. And even in verse 32, he says, when foreigners, people who are not Jewish, people who are not Hebrews, comes in and they see this building and they're provoked to pray. They're amazed by seeing the building and they begin to pray. And he even says, and when they pray and they know your name and fear you, do your people Israel, ask, may you give them what they ask of you. May you hear the prayer of foreigners when they are impressed with this building. In other words, he says, this is not just our building. This should tell the world of your greatness. And then it says in verse 34, when your people go to war, we need you to go with us. So hear us from heaven. Be with us. That our prayer, our, plea, our plea, uphold our cause. And it says, when they sin against you, isn't it interesting he didn't say, and if we sin against you. It's almost he sees. I don't even think Solomon knew how bad off track he would get personally because he was he was on fire right here he was on target with his praying and he says when we sin against you and there's no one who does not sin we we know our condition we know our nature is toward us and you become angry with them and you give them over to the enemy who takes them captives to a land far away or near and if they have a change of heart if something happens inside of them as they pray in a land where they're held captive and they repent and they plead with you in the land of their captivity and they say, Lord, we've sinned. We have done wrong. We've acted wickedly. 
And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their captivity where they were taken and pray toward the land you gave their fathers, toward this city you've chosen, toward this temple. And I don't think we can really imagine the magnitude of that building that was behind him. It was, it was like a wonder of the world. It was, took seven years to build. They had 70,000 men working on this building. They had 80,000 people in the rock quarries chiseling out the stones, and they had 3,600 people that were foremen. This was a massive project, and he says when they come back and they begin to see that they need to be back in land, hear their prayer. This is, this is right here in verse 38, 39. Hear their prayer, their pleas, uphold their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you. And here I'm closing this prayer out. If you're with me here in verse 40, he says, Now, my God, may your eyes be open, your ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. See how often prayers are the theme of this? People talking to God, appealing to God, praying. I think prayer ought to be like second nature to us, just like talking is second nature to us. Some of you have children who never get in trouble talking in class, right? So talking, we're, we're, but he says prayer should be like second nature to us in talking to God. Now arise, O Lord God, come to your resting place. And I'm reading this because you just can't miss how chapter 7 starts. Now arise, O Lord God, come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priests, O Lord, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. May your saints rejoice in your goodness. O Lord God, do not reject your anointed one. Remember the great love promised to your David, your servant. And he's looking at the fulfilled promise right there in that building. He goes, it goes on and says, and when, and when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering, the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple because of the glory of the Lord that filled it. And when all the Israelites saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and, and I think I would have joined them. <laughs> and they worshiped and they gave thanks to God, saying, the Lord is good, his love endures forever. That's their response. But think about what story they had. They're in a meeting, and when Solomon finishes praying, fire comes out of the heavens, consumes the sacrifices, the glory of the Lord fills the temple where the priests can't even be in there. And people hit the ground on their knees with their faces, and they say, God is good, and his love endures forever. And, he, and they finish up. I'm not going to read the next part. We're going to jump down to verse 14 in just a minute. But they finish up, and he sends them home. Solomon goes back to his royal palace, and in the middle of the night, the Lord comes to him. Now watch this. This is where it gets interesting. Verse 11, when Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord the royal, and the royal palace and succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind and temple of the Lord and in his, play, in his palace, own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said this to him. I've heard your prayer. Which prayer? That long prayer in chapter 6. 
I've heard your prayer. I've chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens and he pulls something that Solomon prayed, Lord, if you shut up the heavens and there's no rain. He says, when I shut up the heavens so there's no rain, or, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people. Here's where it gets interesting. If my people. See, there's three things here on the need, and one is the justice of God. God is not going to let his people just go off and stay off. They're his people. He's going he's to always pursue his people. Even though they get far away from him, he's, he's kind of like you're still in his hands, like the song says. He's going to never give up. He never gave up on Israel. He rebuked Israel and he punished Israel, but he, never, he always was pursuing them because of his justice. And the Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Here's the scary thing, is when we're in sin and we're not being chastened. And we're not being corrected. We're not being convicted. We, we kind of like maybe justify any, any person who's a true child of God is going to have to fight the Holy Spirit to do something wrong. The Holy Spirit's going to always be tugging, pulling, convicting because he's the one who is always reminding us where we're at and what we need to be. And whom the Lord chastened. And the Bible says, if he's not chasing you, you're illegitimate. You don't really belong. And, and, and I'm kind of softening the word that is used in Hebrews. He says, if you're not being chastened. There's a man came to me one time. He worked in a, in a dairy farm. And he worked around cows. And he was like a cussing machine when he got saved. Got wonderfully saved. This is in Jacksonville, Florida. And I mean wonderfully saved. And he came to my office one day and he says, you know, I got to. I really feel bad because this cow kicked me. And before I knew it, I was laying a really good cussing on that cow. And he says, I, I am so ashamed of myself. And he went on about how awful he felt. And, and I just let him talk. And then he says, how, how can I do that and be a Christian? I said, you really feel bad about it? And he says, yeah. I says, praise God. Praise God. That means that you're in. If you weren't in, you wouldn't care. Sometimes the conviction, we might not like the conviction, but the conviction of God is a reminder that we belong to him and not to ourselves and not to this world. And so whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Now here's the key to all of this. Whatever you have in front of you, whatever points I have, there's one little two-letter word at the start of verse 14, that is the key to the whole thing. Because God puts everything after that as a condition. If, if my people, because here's the conditions. It all comes off of this one little word. It's possible that God's people would not repent. Or it wouldn't be if. He wouldn't even say this. If it was just automatically, without any external conviction of God, we would repent. We wouldn't even be reading this. But because he's putting this little conditional word in the key, if my people. In other words, we can, we can yield or we can reject. We can go through repenting. We can not repent. And this is like we're having seven days of fast and prayer. We're not threatening anybody to do this. 
We're not twisting anybody's arm. It's up to us whether we do it. It's up to us whether we pray. Nobody's going to make us pray. God doesn't make us pray. This is why he says, if, if my people who are called by my name. Here's this condition. And there's four conditions here that we can just run right through. But we're going to pause with each of them. And the first one is this. If my people who are called by my name shall what? Humble themselves. It's one thing for someone else to humble us. But it's another thing for us to humble ourselves. What does that mean? Humble themselves. I think it has to do a lot with us taking ourselves out of the equation. Taking ourselves out of the answer. That I can't fix this. I can't handle this. This is where people get in trouble where they face temptations. I got this. And you don't have that. If you have it, it's because God has it. The Holy Spirit has your challenge. The Holy Spirit has your situation. If we ever think we can just go off and handle it ourselves, we're going to trip and fall. And he said, this is why you should humble yourself first, declaring that we have to accept God's remedy, not ours. We can't fix this. This is something that we can't. And, and besides, when we are asking God to turn things around, it's not necessarily the words we're saying, it's the action of our heart. It's what we're going to actually do. And he says, if you humble yourselves and what? Pray. Pray. Cry out to God. There was a movie not long ago called War Room. Uh, it was just a moving experience to watch that. But there's a truth there. That we're in spiritual warfare and prayer is part of our weaponry. I don't know if there's something more important in us fighting the battles in our lives than prayer is. Our pausing to talk to God, rebuking the enemy or resisting the enemy, but fighting the spiritual warfare and crying. Sometimes it, it takes mourning, it takes weeping, it takes... It takes contrition. It takes us yielding our time. One of the things that was mentioned earlier in Sunday school, our time just seems like we, we have all kinds of new things to help us to save time, but we have to pause and cry out to God. We have to stop what we're doing, find us a place, get alone, and let the deep yearnings of our soul cry out to God. Not to think about praying, not to talk about praying, but it's time to really pray. And on Sunday night, we're going to pray Super Bowl or no Super Bowl. We're going to have our own Super Bowl right here. Because I'm telling you what happens when you're on your, your knees is going to outlast any event that happens around you. None of these things matter. They're not really, they don't really matter. What really matters is the salvation of your family. What really matters is where we're going on our own spiritual journey. What really matters is where we stand before God. Nothing else matters. It was in my mind as we were in Sunday school driving down Skyland, and for whatever reason, maybe it's because I'm a preacher and I've done funerals out, out in memory gardens there. And, and, uh, but I noticed when a funeral was going on. And in my mind, I'm thinking, my day does not include a funeral. 
My day is not a family member is being memorialized, but yet there's a group of people who have stopped whatever is going on in their lives, and that is what they're tending to. That is their world. And when an ambulance speeds down the highway, they might not be coming to our rescue, but they're going to something that needs immediate attention. Their world is stopped right there. I want to tell you, every day we have is a gift from God, and it's upon us to pause and seek his face. This is the third condition. Now, all of these are, are connected to if. If my people will humble themselves, if my people will pray, if my people will seek my face. What does that mean, seek the face of God? The face of God is actually an expression of the presence of God. Seek his face. Seek communion with him. This is why fasting and prayer is important. There's some things that are not going to be broken off of our lives without genuine seeking God to the point of fasting and seeking him, seeking his presence. And the last is this, and I put this real repentance. The last condition of the four is turn from their wicked ways. Real repentance. Repentance is not the words we say, it's the actions we take. Repentance is not, I'm sorry, Lord. I'll try not to do that again. Repentance is change. It's turning around. I thought about Harold Crosby's book many times when he was the, the navigator and most people who have studied this, my dad piloted B-29 bombers out of Guam at the end of the war. So he flew planes, he flew helicopters. I was up with him, but I got to walk in Fifi, which is the only flying B-29 active in the world, in New Orleans. And I looked at that cockpit, and I really was overwhelmed knowing that my dad sat in a seat just like that on bombing missions and live to tell about it. They only flew the plane. The one who really directed the plane was the navigator. And Harold Crosby was the navigator. And it was up to him to tell the pilot which heading to go, where to turn, ground speed, especially cloud covers. They had instruments, but it was really, it was really tedious work. If they messed up, the entire plane could be lost. They could be in an area they shouldn't have been in. And so here he is. He's pressured to tell the pilot. And now my reading that, I remember something my dad said to me because repentance is not necessarily a, an about face, but it's going to be an adjustment to what you're doing. There's going to be a redirect. Repentance is stop doing what you're doing and redirect where you're going. Change course. This is what repentance means. It's changing of course, changing of how you handle things. A person who's been delivered from alcoholism, maybe it's not a good idea to go witness in a bar. That, that might be not the best place to start. You know, it means that you redirect your, your life away. Dr. Barino, who, was, who had a, a, a pre-conversion reputation and now he has a, a post-conversion reputation. And his pre-conversion reputation was when Brenda worked in his office, and it was not a good reputation. And when I heard that Dr. Crosby 
uh, not Dr. Crosby, the Boney Barino. When Boney Barino got saved, and I told Brenda, I said, I heard that Dr. Barino got saved. She says, Dr. Barino got saved? Really? And we ended up sitting next to him at a prayer breakfast, and it was a glorious transformation. And he told me, he says, Saturday nights, personally, he told me this, before he did knee surgery <laughs> on me. He says, Saturday nights, I cook a meal because Saturday nights was my weak place. Saturday night was my weak point. This is where I would go and do the things that I shouldn't have been doing. He says, so I needed to redirect Saturday night to something else. I started cooking and told everybody at TCAT Church, if Saturday night is your night of temptation, come and have a meal with us and we'll just grow together in the Lord. Started this huge ministry on Saturday night. And this is what repentance is. It is a redirect. You can't keep going in the same direction when it's the wrong direction. The more we go in the wrong direction, the further we get off course. And Harold Crosby's story reminded me of something my dad said. The last flight he took was out of Hawaii. They were, they were, he, was at a, he had a B-29 underneath him and a bunch of men. The war was over. Japan had surrendered, and a lot of them was coming back home, and he was flying across the Pacific to California. I'm not going to go into detail. He had a problem getting the plane flying right, but when, his, when they got it all situated, he's headed to California, put it on autopilot, and he said maybe hours into the, into the trip, the navigator came on and said, Skipper, uh, we're off course. Because the winds could change and, and somebody had to stay on top of it. And he says, well, how much is this? I think it was about 40% adjustment. And he said, what? And so he did the adjustment. And it, it thought to him, came to him and says, we would have ran out of fuel over the Pacific Ocean and we would have been so far off course they would have never found us. This is what repentance is. It's not, he's not... The navigator saying, Skipper, I'm sorry, we messed up. And we're going we're going to land out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and nobody's going to be able to find us. That might be him being sorry that he wasn't on top of it sooner. But repentance is saying we need to make an adjustment. And this is what God is calling people to do. I guarantee you, if you have any participation in this week of fasting and prayer, especially coming in the 24-hour time here, you will have to make an adjustment to your normal routine. I'm already planning my adjustment. I don't know whether I'll take a nap during the day or whatever, but we'll see. But here's the results of the promise. This is a conditional promise, but he says, if they do this, this is what's going to happen. Heaven gets in on our act. I will hear from heaven. Heaven will invade our situation. Any of you have a situation in your life that you need heaven to come down and invade? It means like all other resources can't get it done. There's certain healings in this room that doctors are not going to, they don't have the answer. There's no medicine to answer. Our son-in-law has MS. There's really, there's a medicine that kind of treats it, but it doesn't cure it. And our prayer for him is that heaven invades 
the lesions that are on his brain, dissolves those lesions, and MS is out of his system. That's the only way that he can be healed is through the power of God. There's situations in your life that there's no answer for. This is why if you do this, he says, heaven will hear and heaven will come into your life. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will remedy. Forgiveness is sweet to the soul, isn't it? When you know you're forgiven, when you know the sin has been washed away, what a deal that is. God forgives us of our rebellion, our disobedience, and the thing that stood between us and God. You think about David. David, David was not aware that he had lost the presence of God. He was not aware he had lost the favor of God. He was so consumed. Well, I'll just put it. He was so consumed with Bathsheba that she replaced God. She replaced God. She replaced the presence of God in his life. He wasn't even aware of it until Nathan rebuked him prophetically and called him out. And all of a sudden he realized he had traded the presence of God for a fleeing and to cover up, to cover it up. Because when you read 51 and you read how he responds in retrospect, and how he prays to God, he says, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Renew me, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Bring back your presence to me, God. Don't take your presence from me. And this is what God promised Solomon. He just said, if my people do all this, I'll forgive them. In other words, I'll restore my presence. And this last one is a real... It's the, this is the promise. The promise is based on this condition, but the promise is this. It's restoration. He said, I will heal the land. God has a way of tightening our lives when we're not right and pressing us and constricting us to the point to where it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. Whatever we are insisting on doing, and charting out our plan. And it doesn't even have to be anything bad. Because some of the things we need to repent of is us ordering our own way and being our own boss, our own Lord, and in a way our own God. That we're going to chart it for ourselves. We know what we want to do, and we just want God to bless it. We don't want Him to tell us anything different. I've got my plans in front of me. I know what I want to do. God, please let this be your plan too. And before we even hear anything from him, we head off because we think it's a great plan. There shouldn't be anything that he has a problem with. But you're not where he wants you to be. You're not in the location. You're off the flight pattern that he has for you. And he wants to redirect it. If our praise team can come up. I don't want us... And maybe some of us in this room have been to a place where we prayed like David, Lord, please restore to me the joy of my salvation. What is wrong? Have you ever prayed, Lord, what is wrong with me? And if you haven't prayed that, I don't, I don't know. You just haven't had any fun in your life. <laughs> to come to the point that says, I feel empty. I feel 
lost. I'm not hearing. I'm not sensing. And this is where I think we can really mess up is that we become the barometer of our spirituality and letting, instead of him being the barometer. Because he said, if you do this, if you seek his face, if, if we genuinely seek his face, and I want to tell you something. Whatever God is calling me to do and whatever he's calling you to do, I guarantee you, it will require an adjustment to how you do things. It will require you to look at your time differently. It will require how you get up every morning. It will require how you finish the day. It will require what's in between those. Your job and the responsibilities, but how you do it and the spirit in which you do it will radically change when we get out of the way, when we humble ourselves and seek his face, cry out to him. There's, there's people that just need a miracle. Carl Root needs a miracle. There's no specialist in Nashville. Didn't have an answer for that man's malady. The trembling, he just needs God. And I'm praying that February be a, a month of miracles. And why not? Why not? If he said that we can make this kind of decision, why not believe that he will heal our land and he will heal people? And he will give a breakthrough to those fighting Parkinson, to those fighting diseases and cancer, for those who are on our prayer list and we're praying for God to do a miracle. When we passionately seek God, He guarantees us that He will hear from heaven. He will forgive us of our waywardness and He'll heal our land. 